You are listening to the Resonate Church Sermon Podcast. Resonate is a collegiate church planning network in the Northwest. If you'd like to learn more, please visit us at resonate.net. Welcome, Resonate Church. My name is Stephen Ward. I'm site pastor up in Spokane. It's my privilege to be able to bring this second week of our series, Never Lost, to you today. Last week, Keith opened up this series looking at Luke 15. And man, in it, we saw Jesus uh, spending time with who are described as tax collectors and sinners. And we see them leaning into Jesus. That's kind of how it's described, that they are leaning into Jesus. Sometimes we might get the perception that people who are lost are gonna be leaning away from Jesus. And, And of course, sometimes that's true. But in this setting, we see them pressing into Jesus as he begins to share with them. We also see the Pharisees or those religious ones grumbling and kind of disgusted that Jesus is giving this group his time. By this, we see Jesus prioritizing lost over saved. I think that's significant. Keith brought that out, that that's a significant priority, maybe even a significant mind shift for some of us that would assume that Jesus would prioritize the saved and that we ought to prioritize the saved. And so he goes on in this um, passage as Jesus is sharing this story about going after the one to bring out that point as well. This idea that he left 99 sheep to go after the one that was lost. And then he kind of left us with this challenge of who is your one? I hope you've had a chance to kind of reflect on that from last week, because we're going to build on that this week in that idea of looking for your one. So today, kind of entitled, Find Your One. How do you find your one? And that, that may seem so ambiguous, so hard to even encapsulate. And really, as I look back on my spiritual journey at various stages I wouldn't have been able to describe how I would desire to find my one. I'm not even sure I would have had a plan as to how to find my one. Matter of fact, through pastoring for 30 something years, I've, I've had an opportunity to see a lot of different ways that churches or Christians would view this idea of mission or evangelism. One way is that churches prioritize discipleship through Sunday school. And so the idea is if we can get everybody in these small groups and just teach them the right things, they will obey and do what God wants them to do. And so if we can put enough knowledge in them, put enough scripture in them, they will automatically go and do what God wants them to do. The problem is churches statistically were continuing to uh, wane in their ability to see people come to Christ and to baptize them. And so then we as churches began to say, all right, we can't just trust that. Now we need to introduce these programs. And so things like EE, Evangelism Explosion, or Faith, or all kinds of other programs for evangelism begin to prop up or pop up. And and we would look at, all right, Monday nights, we're going to go door to door and we're going to share our faith and we're going to take everyone who'll go with us and go do that. And so you're looking for who's willing to actually be open to the Spirit and listen to you. And so the idea is you asked a few diagnostic questions to probe and see who would be receptive. If they say yes, then you continue on with the ability to share the gospel with them. Next week, you start over and you look for a whole new group of people. 
And so the idea is you go door to door and the next week you do the same thing and you move on and you move on. Now you invite them to your church if they, if they accept Christ and you hope they get in one of your uh, Sunday school classes to be discipled and that you get a chance to baptize them. But that's kind of where the idea of evangelism and discipleship was a program for evangelism and a program for discipleship. We hope you make it into there and then you should just follow us back out into the program. Problem again is, as an American church, statistically, we're still on the slide. We are not increasing in our statistics of reaching the lost. We aren't keeping up with the population of reaching the lost. As we grow in population, statistically, we're still waning and, and, and decreasing as a church in America for actually seeing people come to Christ. So how do we prioritize the one? How do we prioritize the lost? And what could that actually even look like in the life of our church or even just in the life of you and myself? We're going to look today at a passage in Luke chapter 10, starting with verse 1. Luke chapter 10, starting with verse 1. I'm just going to read this for us today. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. Now, there's a few things in, in this first portion of this passage that may sound a little weird, um, but I, I want to kind of look at this. But before we do, I, I want us to kind of use... It's going to be a main point, but it's really more of a prayer of commitment that we're going to look at as we work our way through this text today. And it's this, God, I will joyfully pursue my one. God, I will joyfully pursue my one by offering your peace and looking for your activity. God, I will joyfully pursue my one by offering your peace and looking for your activity. We're going to work our way through that. We're going to look first at this first point. I will joyfully pursue my one. What does that mean? Well, we look back at the verse one there and we see there's this 72 that is being commissioned by Jesus to go two by two in, in all these towns and places that Jesus is eventually going to work his way through. Now, he's already commissioned the 12 a chapter earlier and we've seen that and it looks very similar go two by two house by house similar passage but I wanted this passage today because sometimes we look at the disciples and go yeah but they were superhuman people now they really weren't and we know by their lives and how they had their failures very evidently lived out in scripture thankfully it shares those things but man, they had major faults and failures. And even in Acts, it describes them as ordinary men who'd been with Jesus. Like that's the description of them. They were doing crazy things, but they were just ordinary men that had been with Jesus. But you take that a step further and here's 72 others. Like that's literally the description. We don't know who they were. We don't know their names. There's just the 72 others and they go out and they do what Jesus told them to do. And so I, I love that, that these are these nondescript group that are just like, we've been a part of the crowds following Jesus. The 12 are sent out, great, they're gonna champion this, but we're 72 others that are like, dude, I'm here, use me, 
I'll be obedient. Just tell me what to do. And Jesus does exactly that. He says, I want you to go. I want you to go house to house. And they obediently do what Jesus asks them to do. That's a description of a disciple. It's just simply as Jesus talks to you through his word, through his spirit, you just simply do what he tells you to do. And so I love that this passage begins with that. 72 others. And so this, this is a nondescript group that any of us could have filled that space and said, I could be a part of that 72. I may not feel like I could be the disciple or apostles, but you know what? I could be a part of that 72. And so he says he sent them out two by two ahead of, uh, ahead of him in every town and place where he was about to go. There, there's this description that they are a sent people. Now, I think that's important for us to to really grasp, as Keith alluded to last week also, that we are a sent people, that we are to be going. Mission should be a part of our DNA. God is a missionary God, and we should be a missionary people. If I claim to be a disciple of Jesus, then I need to also be about His mission that He has called us to. And so when, when we see that in verse one and again in verse three, he says, you're sent. And again, go, I'm sending you. That's, that just needs to sink into our minds and into our hearts that we don't become a stay focused people, but a sent focused people. Our natural inclination is to group up and to say, this is my comfort. This is my safety. And I would rather stay than go. But here we see very clearly commissioned that we are to be a people who are sent. Next, again, he uses this um, harvest metaphor and he says the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. What he wasn't saying, and he goes on to say, pray for uh, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he will send out workers. What he wasn't meaning is you all just sit around and pray and other people are going to go do the mission. What he's saying is, as you're going, as you're sent, keep praying that others that you're reaching will join you in catching that identity that we are about reaching the harvest field. We are to be the workers who go out into the harvest field. There's a couple things in that. Do you expect that there will be a harvest? I think so many people, maybe in America, have gotten so numb that we assume there won't be a harvest that we don't actually become workers. We would say, I'll, I would be the 72 if, I, if there were actually a harvest, but I don't think there is a harvest. So why should I go about working? And, and maybe we assume there isn't, and there's a lack of belief that God would actually work in that way in America today. And so I wanna challenge us maybe to, to begin to pray that God gives us a new belief, a new ability of faith to say, God, what you've done in the scripture during this time, what you're doing around the world in China, in Indonesia, in North Africa, you still are working in people's lives today, even in America. And you could bring in a harvest field in our time. Do I really believe that? If I do, then it might motivate me to actually take the steps of obedience, to actually be one of those 72, to live as sent. And then in verse three, it looks a little weird. He says, uh, verse four, don't take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. So don't go prepared 
and don't talk to anybody. I mean, I mean at first glance, that just looks strange. And so uh, we just walk around barefoot and maybe that works good in Portland. Just walk around barefoot and and live out this hippie life. But don't talk to anybody still sounds really strange. How do I share the gospel? What he's meaning by this really is we need to live in dependence on God. Don't bring a whole bunch of supplies simply means really be dependent on God. And don't live in this sense of I can actually control my life. I I want to live in a way where I'm holding my life with an open hand and saying, God, I'm going to trust you for my provision. I'm going to live risky. I'm going to live sent and I'm going to trust that you're going to provide for me as I go about your mission. And then next, this idea of don't talk to anyone on the road really just carries the idea of don't get distracted. There's going to be a lot of people vying for your time. And a lot of them are going to be religious people that want to discuss religious things or lost people that don't really care about God, but want to just take up your time. And so really what he's trying to help them focus in on is be dependent on God and don't get distracted from your mission of finding your one. Find your one. Again, that idea of I'm going to joyfully pursue my one. Are you pursuing? I mean, that's intentionality. Are you pursuing your one? Are you depending on God? And are you not getting distracted by other good things, but you're focused on the best, which is, God, how do I find that one who you're already working in their their life and you're already preparing? Look as he goes on in verse five. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking, whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. Again, this may sound strange. You show up at your neighbor's house, you may, you, you walk in, and you're like, dude, I'm camping out here, and I'm ready for you to feed me. In America, <laughs> and maybe even other places, you, you might have the cops called on you. Um, but the idea, again, is, is not necessarily saying, all right, this is what happened at this point, so we need to do exactly that. But there's some principles here we can truly draw from. First of all is this, peace to this house. What does that mean? Well, shalom is a greeting, peace to you. It would be a greeting as you meet someone and maybe even a greeting as you leave, uh, meaning just peace to you, right? It's a blessing. I'm praying a blessing over you. And so we literally can give people a blessing of peace. And it may not be shalom that we say. When I think of this, I even get the weird, maybe uh, Spock type of idea of a Vulcan greeting of live long and prosper. It's just, it just seems a little weird to like greet people in these ways in our American context. That's not what he's necessarily meaning. What he's saying is, I'm going to build on this greeting of peace because you have something of eternal value to offer and bless people with. Yes, there's been this greeting of peace. And yes, we want to bless people with peace, but you have something more than just a temporal peace to offer. You have something of eternal value that could literally change someone's life, not just in this world, although it would, but even in the life to come. That is something that is drastic. It is it is a massive change and it's seen as something radical during this time. And so when we look at that, um, 
as I was kind of looking through this, uh, I, I saw John Piper, a, a pastor who I read about this, actually kind of describe it in this sense. God's peace in Christ is offered to the world, but only the sons of peace receive it. How do you know if you're a son of peace? How do you know if you're uh, part of that promise? The answer is that you'll welcome the peacemaker and you receive Jesus. So how do we know who is a person of peace? How do I know who the one is? Well, as I'm going and I'm offering this peace, this blessing of eternal peace to people, they're the ones that are actually leaning in. Like we saw last week, as Jesus was sitting and eating with um, the sinners and the tax collectors, there's this idea that they're leaning into him. As you begin to embrace lost around you, who's leaning into you? Who's spiritually interested? Who's open to this to what you have to offer, the peace that you have to share. Who begins to be open to that? Now, you're not going to know that unless you take those steps. So what, what does that look like? So it's more than just a greeting. It's actually at some point getting to a point where we're sharing the gospel with people. Now, maybe you're like, well, I, I, I'd love for that to be really easy for me. I wish there was this kind of spiritual uh, detector that we could have. Maybe, maybe it might look like something like this. Look, look at this picture on the screen. Maybe you wish there were maybe a spiritual Christian version of a metal detector that you could walk around house to house or as you're maybe a nondescript version of that at work. And you could know without saying a word like beep, 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 beep. As a ladder it gets, you know, all right, they're spiritually receptive. Or maybe you don't like the beep and it would just turn green. When, when you're, when someone is open and, and you know the Holy Spirit's working on them and they would be receptive to you. And so it's like, bam, I'm going after you. You know what? Maybe somewhere in our resonate life of all our campuses, someone's going to get on Shark Tank and have that invention. You know, we can hope for that one day, but until that happens, we don't have that opportunity at this point. So how do we know? How do I know where God is working and how do I know who would be receptive if I were to actually begin to take steps and share? Well, we, we actually have an example in scripture, Luke 10, uh, 21 through 22 that I want to look at that, that actually is a description of Jesus activity. And so first let's look at that. Verse 21. At this time, Jesus, full of joy, through the Holy Spirit said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you are pleased to do. So we see this idea of Jesus revealing something to a certain group of people that aren't necessarily revealed at that time to another group of people. And so we see Jesus through the Spirit at work in people's lives where he is drawing them to himself, preparing them for a message to be shared so that they will be ready to receive it. We see it again in verse 22. All things have been committed to me by my father, Jesus speaking. No one knows who the son is except the father. And no one knows who the father is except the son. And what? To those to whom the son chose to reveal him. So there's this activity where God is always at work in people's lives, drawing them, making them receptive to being open to hearing the truth about Jesus Christ. And that is God's work. Are we looking for God at work? 
Here's some steps I want to give you. Steps to offer this blessing of peace. How do we begin? What's our spiritual barometer or, or our spiritual metal detector, if you will? First of all, relational mapping. Um, you could look at the different parts of your life um, and say, where is my sphere of influence at work? And begin to map out like you're a circle in the middle and draw out lines and put circles around them. And then to begin to put people's names like who are the people that I have actual sphere of influence in? How can I begin to work in their lives a around where you live? Put your circle and map out other people that you have influence in, maybe even hobbies. Put a relational map around your interests and say, here I am. Here's people that are in, in this sphere of influence and begin to next daily pray for those circles. Begin to pray for these people that God moves in their life and that they begin to be open to lean in to him. And then daily pray for spiritual discernment. Pray that you would have eyes to begin to see where God is at work in those spheres of influence. And then begin, man, ask if you can pray for them. As you engage with people, begin to go from the stance of prayer and mapping to engaging with them and actually begin to just say a simple thing like, man, can I pray for you? If you know a need or even if you don't know a need, just begin to say, man, would you be open to me praying for you today? If they say no, they're not leaning in. If they say yes, they might be leaning in and then pray for them. And then ask something like this, man, would you be open to exploring spiritual things with me? If they say yes, then they might be leaning in and the spirit of God might be working in their life. If they say no, they might not be open at this time. And, and you continue looking for your one. And then if someone is open, actually follow through, invite them into a, a DT or a devotional time with you begin to read God's word and show them the, who Jesus is through scripture. Share your story of how you met Jesus in your life and then actually share the gospel with them. Look at verse six, we'll go on. When you enter the house, first say peace to you. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. What does he mean by this? What he means is if the spirit is moving in their life and they're open to the message of Jesus Christ, God's spirit who's already been at work in them is actually gonna begin to live in them. If they become a Christ follower, then they're gonna be, have the Holy Spirit in their life and they're gonna actually begin to be transformed to not only become a Christ follower, but join you in what you are doing. He says, stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you for a worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. In other words, don't do what some of our modern evangelism programs say, like go house to house to house. And then the next week, start over again and go to a whole other group. Even if someone prayed to receive the gospel, just keep moving on. No, stay there. If someone is receptive to God in their life, pour into them, that's your one as you begin to see the steps of obedience in their life, first to receiving Jesus, and then to saying yes to bringing other people into the conversation with Jesus, you pour into that one. Why? Because that's how movement starts. Movement isn't by you going house to house to house and popcorn uh, sharing the gospel. Movement is after you find one and they begin to open up their world to the gospel, then movement through generations can begin at that point. If someone receives and promotes this peace, man, 
They're receiving the spirit of God and they're going to be open. Do we see an example of this? Yes. We're going to look at Acts 16, starting in verse 13. This is Paul and uh, some of his companions that are on one of their missionary journeys. And look at, look at what happens starting in verse 13. And on the Sabbath day, when they went outside the gate to the riverside where they were supposed to be a, a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Tyrethida, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said. Listen to that. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. There was an activity. God was at work. God was moving in Lydia to be ready to receive this message as Paul was sharing. After she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me as faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. She prevailed upon us. So you see God moving Paul looking for God, where are you moving as he's sharing these steps of peace? He knows he has this message of power and a blessing of peace that goes beyond just a temporal shalom. And Lydia is ready. God's been moving in her. She's leaning in and bam, she receives this message of truth of the gospel. And she then immediately begins to bring in her family circle. How do we know that? Because it says not only was she baptized, but her household as well. That's what you're looking for. How do I know they're my one? Not only are they leaning in and, and they're open and they hear, and they're not just saying, now come feed me, but they're willing to go and take that message and bring it to others as well. That's your one. That's where you're willing to say, yep, I'm going to camp out here for a while and I'm going to press into this because God is obviously doing something that went beyond me, that went beyond Lydia, that's now going and moving, moving as God is working and has been at work. That's what we are looking for, that type of picture. The International Mission Board, which is just the overseas arm of our um, of the Great Commission Baptist, which is the denomination that we are a part of, gives a, a kind of a general list to say, how do you know if, if someone's a person of peace? Like, give us a litmus test of, of what are some characteristics we're to look for. And so here, here's a person of peace. They welcome you. They receive you. They're open to you and your friendship. They're open to what you have to say about Jesus. They're interested in and open to the life you live as a follower of Jesus. And then there's this change where it's you, a posture of you to now they're open to assist and serve you in some way. Like they're now bringing other people into these conversations to meet Jesus. We see this even the woman at the well as Jesus goes and shares with her. What does she immediately go? She goes to the town and brings the town people to meet Jesus. They're, that's the one. That's what we're looking for is someone who's open to you, who's leaning in, who's open to spiritual things. And then as they uh, actually receive the gospel, they immediately begin to bring other people into the mix to meet Jesus. That's where you camp out. You don't move on. You camp out there and begin to fan the flame of movement because God is doing something special. Let's look at verse seven. Stay there, eating. Do not move around from house to house. Again, there's a focus now. I found my one. 
We can celebrate heaven as we shared last week. Heaven celebrated the one and now we celebrate the one, but now we've found that one and we begin to pour in and fan that flame and say what you've received, continue to share with other people and have them continue to share with other people. Now, there was something else at the beginning of, of this uh, kind of phrase, the main point we looked at. Uh, I, I want to look at verse 23 uh, of Luke 10. Then he turned to his disciples and privately said, blessed are the eyes uh, that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it and hear what you hear, but did not hear it. So go, go back to that first portion of that uh, phrase again. God, I will joyfully pursue my one by offering your peace and looking for your activity. Look at that description of pursue. I'm going to joyfully pursue. It, it, I would just dare to say that's probably not a lot of our thoughts when we think about mission or evangelism. Maybe even it's approached with fear or dread or like, I know I'm commanded, but I'm really not excited about it. And maybe it's because there's a different perspective from what we maybe don't see through history. Like there's this whole group of people that came before Jesus who were anticipating this idea of there being movement that take place, a kingdom come through Jesus Christ, the promised one, where there's actually a receiving of the spirit and God moving and a living out of what everyone previously was just looking towards. Like we know there's this promised one we've been promised, but none of us have been able to experience it yet. And now Jesus is looking at his disciples and saying, look at these 72, look what God's doing through their lives and those who are coming to Christ. And then they're bringing other people to Christ. Look at this movement. Look at this kingdom that's growing by the thousands. This is what everybody was anticipating, but they never got to experience. They looked to see, but never got to see. You get to live in it. You get to see it. And, and I would pose that same thing to you. And there's been so many people throughout history who anticipated a time of living into the kingdom. And you and I have an opportunity to embrace it and joyfully say, there were so many generations that didn't get to experience what we get to see by finding our one and seeing them find their one and seeing them find their one and seeing God move in the cities and on the campuses where Resonate continues to spread out every single year like wildfire. Do you approach that with joy? Maybe, maybe you need a perspective change. Jesus says, man, you get to be involved in something that others only heard about. We get to be involved in something that others only wish they could see, only wish they could hear about. I, I counted a joy even in the latter time of my ministry to say, I get to be a part of movement where young people are so excited to attack, maybe that's not the right verbiage, but to attack a new campus and another place and to find their one there that begins to expand movement in that place. It's like, I can't wait to find that next one. I, I want to leave us with a couple practical steps that might help us find that joy and find that one. It's a review. First is Man, if I could pray that prayer of commitment each day, 
I would prepare my heart to be ready to find both where God is moving and the one who he's moving in. So that's for number one, God, I will joyfully pursue my one by offering your peace and looking for your activity. Will you commit to just pray that with me as, as we enter this week? Can we just pray that prayer daily and have a posture towards God and towards others that we're looking for God to move? We're anticipating that he's going to be working. This week, map out your relationships and daily begin to pray for them. Three, pray that God will open your eyes to see where he's working around you, that you'll begin to have this spiritual eyes to see, God, are you moving? And it may not look like what you'd think. It may be through someone's hard experience or through someone's incredible experience, but God can move people to be open. Are you willing to press into it? And then four, begin to offer peace. Ask if you can pray for people. Ask if they'd be open to exploring spiritual things and then follow up. Invite them into these um, spiritual experiences through devotions or through sharing your story or through sharing the gospel. I'm so excited to be a part of a group of people that are seeking after movement, seeking after their one, seeking after where God is at work. Let's pray this morning. God, thank you for allowing us the joy to be a part of something that others wish they could be a part of, that others wish they could see, wish they could hear the stories that we get to hear of you at work and people coming to know you and finding their one. But God, I pray that we won't be satisfied with other people's stories, but that we, we will press in daily to say, God, I'm gonna pursue the one that you're preparing that I'm going to have an opportunity to be a part of you changing their life. God, use me. Give me a story of my one. And until then, I'm going to faithfully pursue and chase after where you're working. Just pray these things in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Resonate Church Sermon Podcast. If you are a college student in the Northwest, or if you simply want to see college students come to know Jesus, please connect with us by visiting Resonate.net.